Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you with us again for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, I want to thank you for the feedback we got about yesterday's show. A lot of you connected with me, either by email, uh, on your Facebook posts, or uh, tweets. And uh, for the most part, you were uh, very moved by what you heard in our discussion about how African Americans in this community are experiencing uh, the reality of our times in which uh, police shootings have led to the deaths of a number of African Americans. Um, so thank you for reaching out to me and telling me how you felt about the show. Obviously, it's a theme we'll continue to discuss in the weeks ahead. <clears throat> um, but today we want to get back to the legislature because, of course, they convened, they came back into session yesterday after being delayed by the virus for so long. So let's get right to that conversation. I'm very happy to be joined for this show by Stephen Fowler, GPB uh, radio reporter, covers politics for GPB. And Stephen, you've been down at the Capitol. You were at the demonstration yesterday, and I want to talk about that in just a minute. And so was Donna Lowry. Donna, of course, is the anchor of Lawmakers, the longest-running television (laughs) program in Atlanta. Welcome. Thank you both for being with us today. Um, Stephen, let's get right to it. You were in the crowd yesterday. Hi, Donna. Stephen, you were in the crowd yesterday when uh, the demonstration marched from the Richard B. Russell building to the state capitol. First of all, give us a, I I know this is a generalization. How big was the crowd? Well, Bill, the Richard B. Russell building had several streets around it blocked off. The people started filling up a little before 9 a.m., There was a stage. There was a PA system set up. There were dozens of volunteers kind of corralling people. So it filled up, you know, several city blocks worth. By the time people got moving, you had uh, children, you had young adults, you had, you know, people of all ages and races and backgrounds coming together for this event. And there was a a program at the beginning that was emceed by Atlanta rapper Young Jeezy. You had the Hawks coach Lloyd Pierce there with several members of his team behind him. You had all of these different people here to, uh, it was originally planned to be a discussion about voting rights and last week's election in Georgia that had issues. But given recent events, the, the marches took on a whole new meeting and that was reflected by the energy of people that were there. I noticed, Stephen, in the in the uh, story you posted on the GPB News website, you said there was like a sea of posters that represented almost a great many different uh, uh, liberal causes of the moment, right? Right. I mean, you had people that made some signs that said justice for Rayshard Brooks, who was the Atlanta man killed by Atlanta police over the weekend. You had justice for Breonna Taylor, who was a Louisville person. You had all of these different things and signs touching on so many cultural moments that are happening right now that the march wasn't really just about one thing. And like Jeezy said, it's not a moment, it's a movement. Donna Lowry, you were inside the uh, Capitol getting set to cover the session, which began, I guess, at 10 o'clock, as it usually does. 
Uh, and, and then you came outside with some lawmakers. How were the legislators responding to what they saw, either because they came out to see the crowd or they were peeking through windows or whatever? Yeah, I was. Uh, it, it was very emotional ahead of time. I was in the Capitol talking to a few lawmakers. They were very. Uh, they, a few of them had attended the um, the protests the day before for Rashad Brooks, and so they wanted to go outside. So I followed them outside. Uh, they, a lot of them were members of the Georgia House Democratic Caucus, and they have come up with a list of what of twelve items that uh, bills that they hope to pass through it's very ambitious um 12 items they call justice for all juvenile uh, criminal i'm sorry criminal justice reform package and so they they came in front of the crowd many of them had the black lives matter masks on and they stood to get they stood uh in front of the protesters and told them that they they their main thing was we hear you we hear you and we're listening and we're we're working to do something more. Uh, this package that they are talking about includes everything from the hate crime bill, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, to repealing citizens' arrest, to repealing the stand your ground law, um, ending racial profiling is on that list, the repeal of no-knock warrants, the use of force data for collection, and that, that is getting a lot of talk, of course. Uh, the change of venue for district attorneys, and that, of course, was has been big in the Ahmad Arbery case. The uh, repeal of special presentations for law enforcement, the establishment of a district attorney oversight commission. They want to see, um, and also anti-chokehold legislation and body cams for all law enforcement agencies. As I said, it's a very ambitious, but they feel that they are. I felt they have. They are feeling pressure to do something. And they feel that they were that everybody was is was is looking at them right now to get something done. We're gonna we're gonna get to some of those legislative matters before we do, Stephen. Uh, just to give us a flavor of the crowd, you uh, got some sound uh, from various people who were in the crowd. One of them was a young college student. I think his name was Wade Cook. Um, Sam Burmistaz, why don't we play his two sound bites? Can we play them back to back? We can end this if we stand together. We can end this if we're united. That's why I'm out here. That's why I'm marching. Because I have to be a part of this. Because this, these are my people getting killed every day. This is in my control, and it's in my control to stop it. This injustice, it's happening like almost every day on a semi-daily basis, and we become accustomed to it. We become used to, used to it, and that's disgusting to me. That is disgusting that I have to be used to this. That is disgusting that this co is consistently happening, and it has to stop. Uh, Stephen, there are going to be people out there, uh, perfectly reasonable people, who are not going to agree with all of the messages they're hearing out of these rallies. But one thing is undeniable, and we heard it in, I think, Wade Cook's voice, the passion is so authentic. That's right. I mean, you know, there have been protests for as long as there have been people. And uh, I was in college at the height of the Ferguson protests and things, and I've covered Charlottesville. I've covered many protests and demonstrations around the city. And there's always been emotional responses to whatever cause people are discussing. But this protest, this moment now, the you normally see younger people with this level of energy. But this now, you see it with everyone that you meet at these protests, this raw level of emotion and passion. And 
drive to get things changed. And I think you hear that in Wade's voice as well as anyone else there. Okay, um, we're going to come back in a, in a few minutes. We are back in pledge today. I, I, I want to just quickly remind everybody that uh, the management of GPB yesterday gave us our entire show to talk about the sensitive issues that we discussed in that program. And, and if you haven't didn't hear it, you should get our listen to it on our podcast or on our website. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. GPB lawmakers host Donna Lowry uh, and uh, GPB's uh, political reporter Stephen Fowler joined me to talk about the legislature on Political Rewind uh, today. Donna, a minute ago I talked about the passion that uh, Stephen described in uh, seeing the demonstrators who came to the Capitol yesterday, but we saw a pretty good display of passion from Speaker of the House David Ralston yesterday urging the legislature to pass a hate crimes bill, which at this moment, I don't know if the word stalled in the Senate is quite correct, but it's not going anywhere yet in the Senate. Yeah, it, it uh, definitely wasn't going anywhere before the adjournment. And so, so many things, of course, have changed since then. He said that not passing it would be a stain on the state of Georgia. And so he was, he was very passionate about it. And there were speakers also who went to the well in the Senate who did the same thing. One of the things that I, I can tell you that we just learned this morning, actually, the Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan was on CNN this morning, and he says he will release a proposed Georgia hate crimes bill this afternoon. And he expects the committee hearing this week to, to take care of it and that it will get to the Senate floor quickly. He hopes to get it to the House, and he hopes to get it to the governor. So he said that... He is um, it's a strong he, it's a strong piece of legislation. He says that he hopes that it will pass with bipartisan support. And he said, at the end of the day, I don't want my legacy to be that I supported the weakest hate crimes bill in the country. And of course, as you know, Bill, the House has been the House passed it last year and the speaker has been asking that it just pass. And uh, as is. And he actually said yesterday pass it as is. We'll deal with any changes later on. The Senate, apparently, according to the lieutenant, lieutenant governor, feels that it needs to be stronger. And so they are going to make some changes. He said specifically he wants to uh, add something that deals more with um, us, us, um, allowing people to be able to have have the hate crimes bill stand alone, is the way he put it. All right. Let me, Stephen, Stephen, here's the question. Uh, we've only got, what, 10 days now left in this legislative session? Uh, if it goes to the Senate, if the Senate does, in fact, do what, du- what Duncan says he wants to do, passes the bill, it's going to end up in a conference committee, and there is going to be back and forth on this. And the question is whether the clock is run out. And I think it is fair to ask, given the way the Senate held this bill up last year, whether uh, an, uh, bringing in a new bill might be 
at least on the part of some, not necessarily the lieutenant governor, but some in the Senate who didn't want the bill to begin with, an attempt to slow this down so that it doesn't get out before the end of this session. Well, you know, Bill, in the final days of the session, lawmakers are notorious for their uh, torrid pace of going through legislation, uh, passing bills left and right, things like that. This is a little different. There are 10 working days left, but most of that time is probably going to be or should be spent on figuring out the fiscal year budget that starts July 1st, just a couple of weeks away. So there's not a whole lot of time, uh, even by the legislators' uh, pace at the end of the session. And so uh, having a new bill come would send it potentially back to the House, and the House already has people that might have supported or not voted last time that could vote against it this time. And so it remains to be seen. You know, it's interesting. They say we don't want to pass a weak hate crimes bill, but some could argue that having a weak hate crimes law is better than no hate crimes law. Um, and, and, and Stephen, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that last year it was Republicans who championed this bill. Chuck Evstration, uh was the, was the sponsor of the bill. So Republicans moved toward supporting a bill that in the past has primarily been a Democratic measure, but now they're facing an election year. It's one thing to pass a bill like this when you're in an off year. Now those same people in the House who may have to vote all over again have to look to their constituencies and see what, how they might be damaged or helped one way or the other by their vote. Well, and the interesting thing is the Senate Judiciary Chairman, Jesse Stone, who's the one that's kind of pumped the brakes on having something happen in the Senate, is not running for re-election. So he doesn't have to worry about answering to constituents for this. So his decision to hold up the process and to slow walk the bill doesn't factor into the same political calculus that other Republicans in the State House and Senate have to face. And uh, I talked to Chairman Administration earlier when the Ahmaud Arbery case popped up and people started talking about a hate crimes law again. Georgia had a hate crimes law. It just wasn't specific enough, so it got struck down. And abstration said that this bill would be different because it had enough of that legal threshold to make it stand and to make it be a strong bill. So you have Republicans on one side saying this is strong enough and Republicans on the other chamber saying it's not strong enough. One of those arguments is going to have to win out at the end of the day. Yeah. Donna, in Bill, the past, we know that what go ahead. Why don't you just go ahead and what, comment? I was just going to mention something to let you know how big this is in the House. This morning, the House Rules Chairman, uh, Richard Smith, had, you know, had the Rules Committee. So he said, uh, according to reports, that there, there were four bills that were eligible to be put on the floor. But he said uh, morally and legally they were required to pass two things. Um, apparently the budget and the crime and the hate crimes bill. And then he adjourned the meeting mm -hmm. abruptly. So the the feeling is obviously that, especially in the House, that the focus should be on this hate crimes bill. So there's a, a lot of pressure in the Senate to do something. And as if we're if uh, what we're hearing from the lieutenant governor, we're going to see something happen right away, something today. Donna Lowry, Stephen Fowler. Stephen, Donna talked a little while ago about this package that Senate Democrats are put, bringing forward about police reforms, uh, things like stop and frisk, things like citizens arrest. I mistakenly said they were trying to attach that to the hate crimes bill on our show on Monday. They're not. It's a separate mm -hmm. measure. But, Stephen, 
the chances of something like that getting through in this shortened session, it, it's kind of we're going to break the ice and look to uh, next session, yes? Right. Because of the way the biennial legislative session works, anything that isn't passed and signed at the end of this two-year period has to start all over from scratch next January. And so none of these bills that are filed this week dealing with this criminal justice package have any reality chance of getting anywhere, but it's more of a message to voters in the fall and to the lawmakers in January that that's going to be the priority for this Justice for All package, the things like banning chokeholds and um, repealing the citizen's arrest law. And so it, it's more of a uh, policy platform than an actual legislative attempt at this point. Donna, um, that's a good point that Stephen makes. I think that Democrats are throwing down a marker as they head toward an election in the fall. Yeah, absolutely. Just think that, you know, there are so many. um, This is such an important election coming up in November, and they have got to show that they care about these issues. And I think they do. As I said, I I spoke to lawmakers yesterday who who I thought a few of them were almost going to come to tears over thinking about the fact that many of them come into office. They, They came into office thinking that they would be able to make change, make the kind of changes we're talking about now and haven't been able to do so. And now they're hearing, getting this pressure to do some more and that people are thinking that what, what were they elected to do when they're, they're not accomplishing some of these things. So I think there's a feeling that they've really got to, uh, they must show how important it is, uh, what their jobs are all about and, and what they can accomplish in just a few months. I mean, this whole thing with the citizens' arrest law that the um, – remember, it, it goes back to 1863 to the Civil, Wars time, Civil War times in, in Georgia and this whole vigilante-style murder when it came to Ahmaud Arbery. And to, to not actually lay down a gauntlet and say, we're going to really focus on trying to get rid of this, to repeal this law, would, would be um, detrimental to them, certainly, in anything coming up. But I think – as I said, I think a lot of them felt personally about um, feel personally about what's going on right now and want, really want to do something. Um, let's move on to another subject. We're gonna we can start it now and then we're gonna uh, continue it after we take our next break. But uh, Donna, as long as the ball's in in your hands right now, uh, it, as Stephen already said, uh, you know we've got basically two issues to deal with: uh, the budget and some believe hate crimes as well. Where do we stand now in these in the, in the budget uh, talks, remembering that the governor has asked for cuts of as much as 14 percent, although revenues are such that he may not really have to take 14 and maybe more like 12 percent. It's nevertheless significant cuts and people are struggling, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I spoke uh, last week to House Appropriations uh, Chair Terry England, who said that, yeah, in early May, they thought 14 percent cuts, that they, they'd have to go with that. He said in particular they looked at the Moody's numbers, and Moody's was uh, giving a worst-case scenario, so they went for 14 percent cuts. Since then, he says the state's revenue picture has improved, and so we're talking about 11 percent cuts. But 11 percent is still pretty daunting. Uh, that It's going to be painful. We're going to see some furloughs. We're going to see uh, jobs lost. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for them to try to get through 
um, trying to, to make the budget work and uh, to, to, um, to make the people in the state happy. Um, it, one of the things that he talked about was that uh, things are improving a little bit because uh, the uh, withholding tax for unemployment was, was better than they expected. A lot of people who are getting unemployment are putting in asking for withholding tax. They didn't expect that. And he said the ag picture was actually better. So in terms of those couple of things, we're, we're doing better in the state, but we're going to see cuts in K-12 education, higher education, division of family and children's services, behavioral health, uh, transportation, areas that people really care about. And so this is going to be tough for these agencies as they, uh, they talk to the Senate. Uh, as I understand it, Steven, um, we're looking for possibly by the end of the week to uh, to have something from the Senate, an, an initial budget. So we'll see. Stephen, before we get to that break, we're already seeing uh, some department heads argue that they can't afford to have the cuts. Uh, prime among them, Kathleen Toomey, the director of public health, who's saying that in the middle of a pandemic, the legislature ought to be cautious about whether they really want to cut our budget uh, by 11 percent or more. There are other legitimate arguments for not cutting, but that one, it would seem to me, might win some favor among legislators. Well, you know, there I, uh, nobody wants to see their budget cut, but you see the Department of Public Health probably has the best case right now that they don't need to furlough epidemiologists in the middle of a public health outbreak. The Labor Department doesn't need to have people not working and answering phones and record unemployment times. And so you know, the cuts are supposed to be 11 percent across the board. But I think, as usual, we will see 11 percent hits a little bit harder some places than others. Um, all right. They've only got 10 days left to put this thing together. Hey, um, Donna, we do have to get to a break, um, but I don't want to forget this. Before. Tell our listeners, Lawmakers is operating on a different schedule uh, during this shortened session. So real quickly, before we get to our break, tell everybody how they can uh, now see the show. Yeah, that's right. It's shortened. It is a uh, it is a capital report at the end of the CBS. I'm mean, sorry, PBS News Hour with Judy Woodruff every evening. So you can catch it then. And we're we're doing our best to give a comprehensive look at what's happening down here at the Capitol every day. So every evening okay. at so the end it's of seven news o'clock. Hour. Yes. Let's get to our uh, our uh, next pledge break, and we'll be back with more with uh, Stephen Fowler and Donald Lowry. All right, we've just got a few minutes left to talk to uh, Don Lowry and Stephen Fowler about uh, the legislative session that began yesterday and runs for 10 days uh, in the future. Um, let me let me start uh, real quickly, Donna. I want to point out that we know that the war of the masks between uh, some uh, Trump supporters and the anti-Trump folks has gotten pretty uh, extreme in some cases around the country. I noticed a photograph of Governor Brian Kemp wearing a mask as he walked through the hall to his office. That takes courage among conservative Republicans these days. <laughs> it, it has been interesting to see uh, yesterday to see who had on masks and who didn't. Uh, but the majority of people, I think, have been wearing masks around here. But it's required for a, a lot of us. It's required in the House. It's not required for the, the senators. So, it, it, But it, there is a war. And then, you know, some people have names on there or some kind of symbols on their masks and some don't. So it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah. Well, I just thought that was worth pointing out. Uh, Stephen Fowler, Secretary of State Raffensperger, has come with a proposal 
uh, that he's going to try to get through pretty quickly. Uh, in responding to the failures in some of the counties and maybe in the Secretary of State's office to run a smooth election last week, saying that he wants the authority to go in and intervene with the county when his office determines they are not uh, making proper and adequate preparations for an election. Uh, is that really going to get anywhere, do you imagine? You know, there's a thing called local control that a lot of people subscribe to that says that, you know, the local entity is the one that knows what's going on. Some also make the argument that the secretary of state already has the power to intervene. It's called uh, being the secretary of state. Um, you know, there's the state election board, which is kind of the enforcement arm that we saw in Athens, Clark County earlier this year. The state had no issues intervening quickly and making sure that a county did something that uh, the state thought they should do. But I, I think there's so much distrust around elections and that elections are such a partisan issue that I don't think that bill will make it through because I don't think there are enough people willing to uh, just turn their sights on Fulton County because after the 2020 election, it could be their county, it could be another county. And then you have the Secretary of State's office, which is already not a highly staffed entity trying to go in and, you know, do a hostile takeover of the local elections officials that know how to run this election better than anyone else. Yeah, you know, Donna, it strikes me that if I'm the DeKalb County delegation in the legislature or the Fulton County delegation in the legislature, I wouldn't be particularly excited about supporting the Secretary of State when people in his office, uh, on our show including, uh, were very disdainful and, and essentially attacked them for not running, for, for, for being the problem, uh, both in DeKalb and Fulton. I don't think that lends itself to uh, cooperation on a bill like this. No, I agree. And I think, uh, I think what Stephen is talking about is correct, that it is one of those things where you can do a lot of finger pointing when it's away from you, but then when it comes back into your backyard, then uh, it doesn't look good. So I think they're going to be really careful about what they say and what they do when it comes to that bill. One other thing that I want to try to get to quickly. On yesterday, the uh, Senate Public Safety Committee, Chairman John Albers, who's a Roswell Republican, uh, he uh, put f forth a bill that got, I think, got through the committee yesterday that would um, uh, protect businesses uh, in the state from being held liable if some of their employees, one of their employees, any number of their employees, uh, develop COVID-19, uh, prevent prevent the, uh, the employee from being able to sue the business on the basis that you really can't prove where you got COVID-19 necessarily. Um, that It strikes me, Stephen, that that's a measure it, 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 that you could have two minds about. I mean, you know, it's all it's part of this larger issue of whether people are put in a really untenable position by being told they have to come back into a, an office or a workplace. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those uh, delicate tightropes of personal responsibility versus government mandate that lawmakers are trying to Absolutely. do here. Uh, but uh, the one interesting thing about this bill, you know, uh, President Trump, his rally that he was going to hold in Tulsa that he now moved, you had to sign a waiver saying that you would not sue the Trump campaign if you went around, you know, 10,000 people and got coronavirus.
But the, the interesting thing uh, that might also harm this bill is how it came into being. Um, it, the bill, House Bill 216, originally would have created a fundraising license plate for the Georgia Tennis Foundation, which best yeah. I can tell has nothing to do with coronavirus. These are the kinds of uh, late late game shenanigans you see in the state house, but I, I think uh, I think the bill sponsor was uh, quite upset that the bill was uh, zombified that way. But it, it's one of those things where you know the economy is supposed to be restarting. The governor's saying that you know jobs can restart and people can go back to work, but at the same time, people might not want to go back to work if they feel like they can't uh, they can't be safe. Yeah. And then the businesses right. are so worried uh, about what happens with, uh, with you know, people do uh, contract the virus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I think I think Stephen said it right. It's a delicate issue. And I, I think uh, you can clearly see arguments on both sides of that right now. All right. We are completely out of time for today's political rewind. Uh, Stephen Fowler, Donald Lowry, it was a real pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for uh, keeping us on top of what's happening downtown during this session uh, at GPB News. Uh, watching you on the Capitol Report in the evening, Stephen, uh, we'll see you, hear you on the radio, and see both of you writing at gpbnews.org.